0: Like him or not, David Chappelle sometimes says memorable things. Good old Dave said, young man, don't come between a man and his meal. Those are some wise words. When I was a child, we had eight children around the dinner table, excluding a never-ending parade of friends. Reflecting back on the free-for-all feast that we had in those evenings, I wonder how my two youngest brothers just absolutely didn't starve to death. I moved on to the military duty where you ate when you could and many times you kept moving while getting whatever nourishment was available. Still none of those experiences got me ready for the level of people we're going to discuss today. Let's explore competitive eating. I'm Scott Parrish and you're listening to Dying to Eat. Each episode we'll be focusing on a different country and exploring the relationship between food and death around the world. If you love food, culture, and fun stories, then I've got a great show in store for you, so make sure to stick around to the end to see what's cooking this week. And don't forget our sponsor, TheTailoredHemp.com. High-grade CBD can be used as flour, tincture, and in edibles. This could be an alternative to some traditional medications, and it's legal in all 50 states. Reach out with your questions and requests for certified high-grade CBD at TheTailoredHemp.com. Now on with the show. Let's start with the good old-fashioned pie-eating contest. The first one ever took place in Toronto in 1878. The amount of pies consumed remains a mystery. Nobody thought to document this event that was organized as a charity fundraiser. Albert Pennington was the winner of the big, shiny, handsomely bound book. Guys, it was 1878. A book was a pretty legit prize. Way to go, Al. After the success of the first ever Piety Contest, they quickly became popular across Canada and the United States, traditionally being held at county fairs. We live in the modern world now, where county fairs don't have the appeal they once did. It's not that long ago that they were still popular. As a kid, the fair was a great place to hang out, eat, ride rides, and generally just stay out of trouble. Maybe we just need some of that back. now. There are some notable examples of early eating cont- contestants such as Joe McCarthy who consumed 31 pies in a competition held at Charles Tanby's Saloon in 1897. Fast forward a dozen years later and Frank Dozler became well known for his impressive feat of consuming 275 oysters, 8 and 1/8 pounds of steak, 12 rolls, and 3 large pies all washed down with 11 cups of coffee at the event organized by the Manhattan Fat Men's Club. The Fat Club. You know what? That's what we call family dinners back home now. So, seven years after Frank Dozler ate more oysters than a sea otter, the United States introduced and developed Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, which became the annual holiday tradition that has been held on 4th of July every year since 1916 at Coney Island. While the origins are debated it's believed that it began at, as a result of four immigrants who tried to eat as many hot dogs as possible to show off their patriotism America baby the organization of major League eating in 1997 also was also a key development in the increasing popularity the organization is responsible for between 70 and 80 eating contests per year across North America most notably in Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest which has now aired on ESPN since 2003. If you are unaware of Major League Eating, it's an organization that organizes professional competitive eating events and television specials. The stated mission of Major League Eating is to maintain a safe environment for all events to create a dynamic and enjoyable fan experience and to help sponsors develop, publicize, and execute eating events in the whole variety of food disciplines. The league airs its annual Nathan's Famous 4th of July International Hot Dog Eating Contest on ESPN. Man, that's a mouthful into itself, right? So, it's comical that they made an entire league for this sport. Activity, spectacle, I don't know, whatever you guys want to call it. Despite the success... But the first two gentlemen in the late 1800s and early 1900s, they didn't even come close to the popularity of the household name, Joey Chestnut. Joey has won a total of 13 competitions on the 4th of July since 2007. You guys do the math. I mean, he just doesn't lose. He is the current champion as of 2020. With that many victories, surely this guy has broken a record or two. He broke the record in 2020 for the most hot dogs consumed in a contest with a whooping 75. Listen to that again, 75. I can't eat 75 jelly beans. He broke the record of Akuro Kabashi, who won six consecutive titles from 2001 to 2006. Both men hold multiple world records related to eating, with Kabashi holding five and Chestnut holding 14. Joey Chestnut. Now, here's a guy who has turned nothing into something. CelebrityNetWorth.com reports that Joey Chestnut has built a net worth of $1.5 million on the strength of winning the annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. The Triumphs have netted him more than $10,000 apiece and also set up Chestnut, who's now 36, for endorsement opportunities. Now, you may be asking yourself. Who in the world is going to buy something because of the hot dog eating guys on the box? Well, there's a market for everything, right? He markets a line of condiments including mustard and hot sauce that carries his name. How much is Takuro Kibashi's net worth? Well, Takuro has been in a holdout in recent years due to a dispute with a Major League Eating. Yeah, there's really a sanctioning body for competitive eating over money. Now ladies, I didn't forget about you, and neither did Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest board members. In 2011, they proudly introduced a female-only tournament. The most successful competitor in this contest is Mickey Sudo, with 7 consecutive wins since 2014. She currently holds 3 world records and is the reigning female champion as of 2020 and also holds the recorded a uh, record for most hot dogs eaten by a female contestant, with 48.5. 75 versus 48.5. I wonder if Mickey has a beef with Joey. What do you think? Now, I know a lot of you probably have seen one of these on ESPN, but I don't want one of you, any one of you to be listening and not hear what the rules are for this competition. It's an important thing to go over so you have a full context of what the competitions are really like. You'll even learn what chipmunking means. Competitive eating contestants often adhere to a 8 and 8, a 10, a 12, and a 15-minute time limit. Most contests are presided over by a master of ceremonies whose job is to announce the competitors prior to the contest. Keep the audience engaged through the contest with the enthusiastic play-by-play commentary and with amusing anecdotes. A countdown from ten usually takes place at the end of the contest, with all eating coming to an end at the expiration of the time. Many professional contests also employ a series of judges whose role it is to enforce the contest rules and warn the eaters about infractions. Judges will also be called upon to count or weigh out each of the competitors' food and certify the results of the contest prior to the winner being announced. Many of the eaters will attempt to put as much food in their mouths as possible during the final seconds of the contest. This is a practice by professionals, known as chipmunking. If chipmunking is allowed in a contest, eaters are given a reasonable amount of time, which is typically under two minutes, swallow the food or take a risk of a deduction from their final totals in many contests eaters are allowed to dunk foods in water or other liquids in order to soften the food and make it easier to chew and swallow dunking typically takes place with foods involving a bun or other doughy products professional contests often enforce a limit on the number of times competitors are allowed to dunk food Competitors are required to maintain a relatively clean eating surface throughout the contest. Excessive debris after a contest results in a deduction from the eater's final totals. If, at any point during or immediately after the contest, a competitor regurgitates any food, he or she will be disqualified. Vomiting, which is also known as a reversal, or as ESPN and Nathan's hot dog eating contest call it, a reversal of fortune, now isn't that true, includes obvious signs of vomiting as well as any small amounts of food that may fall from the mouth deemed by judges to have come from the stomach. Small amounts of food already in the mouth prior to swallowing are excluded from this rule. Man, that's just a lot to go by, isn't it? You think these people wake up in the morning and they go, well, you know, it's 4th of July and it's time for an enormous amount of hot dogs. (laughs) You're going to be wrong. Many professional competitive eaters undergo rigorous personal training in order to increase their stomach capacity and eating speed with various foods. Stomach elasticity is usually considered the key to eating success. The competitors commonly train by drinking large amounts of water over a short period to stretch their stomachs. Others combine the consumption of water with large quantities of low-caloric foods, such as vegetables and salads. Some eaters choose large amounts of gum in order to build jaw strength. Perhaps paradoxically, maintaining a low body fat percentage is thought to be helpful in competitive eating. This is known as the belt of fat theory. For a marquee event like Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, some eaters, like current contest champion Joey Chestnut, will begin training several months before the event with personal time trials using the contest food. Retired competitive eater, Ed Cookie Jarvis, trained by consuming entire heads of boiled cabbage, followed by drinking up to two gallons of water every day for two weeks before a contest. Now that's dedication. Like competitors in athletics, dance, or any pursuit involving endurance and stamina, competitive eaters train and employ tricks in order to achieve greatness. Kobayashi. Well, look at that. I said something right. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry about those, uh, those faux pas earlier. Kobayashi, who monitors his weight and his body fat, is known for the Kobayashi Shake, a wiggle that he makes while swallowing food which is supposedly helps it compactly settle down in his stomach. The ability to moisten food, such as the buns around the hot dog, is among the oldest tricks in the trade. When Kobayashi set his first world record in 2001, his technique involved dunking the buns in a glass of water and then swallowing the soft, wet mass as a whole. Randy Santel, a competitive eater with over 400 titles to his name, launched a website, Food Challenges, in 2014, and it offered several pages dedicated to strategies, tips, tricks, and training techniques. The week before I decided to enter a eating contest, competition for the first time i had just finished a body transformation as part of the contest sponsored by men's health magazine which i won santel says his very first contest involved an 11 pound 28 inch pizza which he ate with a friend in under an hour he won 500 bucks plus the pizza and then santel says he was just plain hooked he's since competed in nearly 500 eating contests Around the world, winning 477 and eating massive quantities of everything from burritos to ice cream to chicken wings to faux. So, if you are looking for more tips and tricks, check out his website, Food Challenges. Now, you may ask yourself, what does a famous millionaire, A list actor have to do with his free time? You never guess it, but criticizing the annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest is on the list of things to do for Ryan Reynolds. In an, in an editorial in the Huffington Post, he stated that competitive eating is another example of Western gluttony at a time when so many others around the world are starving. In the same article, retired competitive eater Don Moses Lerman mentioned some of the dangers of competitive eating when he said he would stretch his stomach until it causes internal bleeding. Man, that's... That, that would keep me away from that table right there. So, let's dive deeper into the dangers of competitive eating. Negative health effects of competitive eating include delayed stomach emptying, aspiration pneumonia, perforation of the stomach, bohave syndrome, and obesity. Other medical professionals contend that binge eating can cause stomach perforations and those with ulcers and gulping large quantities of water during the training can lead to water intoxication, a condition caused by diluted electrolytes in the blood. Normal term effects of delayed stomach emptying include chronic indigestion, nausea, and vomiting. Discomfort following an event is common with nausea, heartburn, abdominal cramping, and diarrhea. People may also use laxatives or force themselves to vomit following the event, and those also have associated risk. Seems to me that there's a reason people watch it every year, though. Because it's crazy, it's dangerous, and it's another example of Western gluttony. Thanks, Ryan Reynolds. Now I'm going to feel guilty about watching it. Uh, just kidding. Ryan, if you're listening, let's go grab a big gulp and a couple of quarter pounders sometime. We can talk about it. When it comes to potential hazards, choking is the most obvious concern in eating contests. Meat, because of its texture, density, and fat content, is the toughest food to swallow quickly. I saw a person choke on a piece of steak once, but it wasn't serious, Santel says, noting that the carbs are generally pretty easy to consume. If there's something that's a choking concern, eaters will chug water, which softens the food so it can be swallowed more easily. But accidents do happen. Santel remembers biting his finger once when he was really in a hurry and spliced his thumb while using a knife to cut a piece of meat during a contest. These are apparently common injuries. He says that the real concern comes when a contest involves alcohol, as many amateur contests do. One-off promotional contests can be dangerous too. Incompetence and inexperience for organizers and participants lead to injury and possibly even death. Let's look at some of those deaths. Clearly a lot of people have choked on hot dogs one time or two in their life. Not everyone gets lucky enough to make it to the other side. Frankly I have no idea how these people even sign up for this. Our first death story is about Dana Hutchings just 41 years of age and collapsed about seven minutes into a contest and was rushed to an area hospital where he was pronounced dead. The the autopsy determined that Hutchings choked to death. Witnesses said Hutchings had been eating much more quickly than the other two two contestants, and that emergency personnel at the stadium had administered the Heimlich maneuver and CPR before the medics arrived. According to reports, the contest was not sanctioned by the Major League Eating, and that's the one that oversees the Nathan's hot dog eating contest, so that sanction's very important. In 2017, unfortunately, a 20-year-old female student at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, Connecticut, died as a result of choking during a pancake eating contest. And here's another story from 2013. A 64-year-old man named Bruce Holland died after collapsing during a pie eating contest at a pub in Queensland Northeast. Bruce was one of eight people who took part in a a competition at the Bushland Beach Tavern in Townsville on a night the State of Origin rugby match was on. He collapsed while eating a chili pie and was rushed over to the Townsville Hospital, but died about 10.30. According to the Townsville Bulletin, his final words were, Jeez, this chili pie is hot. A witness at the pub named McMahon said that there had been a merry atmosphere at the pub before Holland collapsed. It was about halftime during the game, and we had a big screen out on back, and everyone was having a really enjoyable time, he said. a man told the Townsville Bulletin that Holland had only taken a few mouthfuls before he started to choke. He started to gasp and sat down with a glass of water and then passed out, My man said. There were seven other people in the competition, and the meat was not overly hot, he added. It's one of those tragedies that just happens. And it's very difficult for us to know whether it's something that could have been avoided. Well, it could have only been avoided if they had listened to this specific podcast way back in 2013. Come on, Marty McFly, help her brother out. In 2014, a South Dakota man died during an amateur hot dog eating contest. The local paper noted that the death happened within minutes. In this case, the paramedic was not on the scene and contest was sanctioned by the Major League Eating and it did require an EMT presence. We discourage anyone from doing contest without emergency medical technicians, George Shea, chair of the Major League Eating Contest, told Time Magazine in 2014. In 2016, Santa Fe resident Deborah Harbeck was celebrating her daughter's birthday at a local club and was drunk when she decided to enter the club's corn dog eating contest. Her inebriated state, she swallowed too quickly and began choking. There was no EMT on site, but the Albuquerque Journal reported that onlookers gave Harbeck the Heimlich and CPR. When paramedics arrived, she was rushed to the hospital where it was determined that the loss of oxygen to her brain had caused irreparable damage. She died later that night. The family filed a lawsuit against the now-closed nightclub, and that's actually still pending. Harbeck had not signed a waiver form when she started eating the corn dog that ended her life. Speaking of waiver forms, let's get into that, and then we will give you guys this week's delicious recipe. When asked if it required its Texas contest entrance to sign a waiver before starting, Oregon-based Voodoo Donuts did not respond for request to this comment, but sometimes a restaurant or organization fails or forgets to get entrance to sign a waiver. Sometimes the waiver form isn't written clearly, and if alcohol enters the picture, the waiver may not be enforceable at all. In some cases, if an eating contest goes awry, the sheet of paper meant to protect the organizers can leave them open to litigation. The courts will look at the waiver as a contract between two fully aware parties. So it's rather important to get something down in writing, or you'll end up in a lawsuit like the Harbick family is in in the middle—that's in the middle of right now. An ugly situation following an even uglier death. Choking on a hot dog is not the way I want to go out, and I don't ever plan on signing up for one. Who knows? Maybe we can come up with a—a a bet. And if I lose, then Pete has to sign up for one. Now that really sounds more like a plan for me. What about you, producer Pete? a wow. while. Now let's talk about White Castles. Just hearing those two words makes my mouth water as I picture these tasty sliders from the first fast food chain in the U.S. There's not a location in Florida. I guess that's why Harold and Kumar don't live down here either. Sure, I could go to a local grocery store and get a C-pack in the freezer section, but what, 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 what fun would that be? Now, y'all, I love cooking. I am never ending in my search and attempt to create new dishes to me. When I share a recipe that's not mine, I'm happy to bring recognition to the fellow food lovers. Today, this copycat recipe is for White Castle Burgers. While I get, did get to visit their manufacturing plant where they're made, I'm still amazed at what goes into them. This recipe is from Emily, Echo, and Erica, of favorite family recipes. These ladies are culinary historians and they are awesome. I want to say a huge thanks to them for letting me use their recipe. Side note, if anyone has a recipe that they've developed or it's a family recipe that you really enjoy, shoot it my way. We'll share it if we can. This recipe will make approximately two dozen burgers. Preheat your oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. In a mixing bowl, bind four pounds of 80-20 ground beef, one cup of milk, two packs of two ounce Lipton onion dry soup mix and two tablespoons of creamy peanut butter. That's right, I said Lipton soup mix and I said peanut butter. Roll the roll half of that beef mixture into a baking pan and then repeat with a second baking pan. I used a rolling pin so I could get mine as even thickness as I could at about three quarters of an inch. Bake for 10 minutes. and You're going to see this meat bathe in its own juices, and draw up about 20%. Now don't worry, it's the right size. Sprinkle one diced white onion evenly across the sheet of meat. Return to the oven for another 15 minutes. When you remove the pan this time, place single slices of American cheese enough to cover the top. I like Kraft slices. Use what you like though. My experience was the cheese melted as it sat on top of the stove. Now place the tops of 12 buns on the sheet of meat. Place back in the oven for another five minutes. Remove and cut between the buns to create individual burgers. Using a spatula, place the white castlesque goodness on the bottom bun. And hey brother, it's time to dig in. I've been your host, Scott Parrish, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Dying to Eat. This show is made possible by listeners like our Instagram followers, T Third. The Jawsome, Dangling Lee, Gaytan6578, Harold all of you guys, I really appreciate your support. Oh, and I can't forget Carlin in South Florida, who hit me up for this recipe even before we recorded the show. Thanks for the, really, really, thank you for the support. Sharing food with folks is one of the main reasons I do this show. Please don't forget to post pics. If you like what you heard and you'd like to hear more, look out for new episodes every week on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to drop us a like, a comment, and a five-star rating. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on our latest episodes. And until next time, stay lively.